You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Good morning. Good, good morning. It's a good, good morning for a good, good father. <laughs> it was great. Uh, just so good to be together. It is so... Uh, amazing to have opportunity to just sing together, to hear the voices uh, behind me, and uh, just grateful that we have this opportunity. Hope you are feeling welcomed and blessed and excited uh, for, for what's happening. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 today. There are Bibles around you in the chairs. There, uh, also, the, the, the text will be up on the screen. We are going to be in this book for the next couple of months, just looking at what this letter teaches us. Um, And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you of just the things that Nikki told you about for the announcements and just events coming up, and just hope hope you participate, get excited, be a part. Um, Thank you for being patient with us as we're renovating our, our, our cafe uh, it's going to be amazing and beautiful. We need to shut it down a couple of times just because it's, it gets, it's pretty wild in there right now. So uh, sorry we couldn't have our full coffee bar open to you, but it will be back and better than ever in uh, another few weeks. And so we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. Um, all right. So the book of Ephesians, let's stand together. Got a bit of a, a long uh, passage here. But it is so full, so rich, and excited to see what God's going what's going to show us from here. This is what Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, listen to this, to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. Lord, we ask you to make this come alive to us. There is so much here. It is rich. Help us to see what we need to see, to learn what we need to learn. Let truth come strong into our hearts and minds and souls today. And God, keep us far from error. 
We want to be different and changed because of your word and who you are. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I, uh, I am excited to start this series. <laughs> this, these 14 verses are full. I mean, they are full. And we, are, we, we can scratch the surface of what, of what God is saying to us in these, in these few verses. And as I was, as I was studying how, uh, of this text and just thinking how, how big and full this is, it, it made me think of um, just how much I love movies and how much I love great stories and stories that, I mean, it's, it, it's hard to capture a story in, you know, a two-hour movie, right? Like, that's why when we read books, it, you know, we... The, the books are like this long, and if we ever made the book into a real movie, it would turn into, you know, it would be like a 12-hour movie. And so it's so fun when movies can stretch out, and I am a, I'm, I'm a huge Marvel fan, and I've loved all the movies and um, have watched, you know, our family has watched them over and over in different ways, different, <laughs> different capacities. And we, uh, I, I especially love the Avengers series. Yes, <laughs> I know, it's good. you guys are going to get excited today, um, and uh, especially how it all wraps up in the end and how it just ties together with all the other movies, it just was amazing, in that final movie, Endgame, where... Okay, I'm going to tell you the story. Okay, so uh, the, the, the Avengers, right, it's this mixture of superheroes, they are, they are fighting this massively powerful titan his name is thanos and it's just not going so well for the avengers and so you know there's there, there's some characters there's dr strange and there's iron man and they're having this conversation is like how what are our chances of actually winning in the end because you know they can kind of look into the future and see possible outcomes and out of 14 million 605 possible future outcomes he asks how many were, do we come out victorious and, and Dr. Strange, he tells him, it's only going to be one. There's one, one chance. And so they, they, they continue fighting, and there comes this, this moment. There comes this moment in the battle where Dr. Strange and Iron Man, they catch eyes in this, this, this powerful scene where, well, actually, it'll just be better if you, if you take a look and watch it. Yes, so good, man, like, 
just makes you ready to go. And if you've never seen the movie, I'm sorry, we've spoiled everything for you. Uh, the Avengers win and other things happen. But um, that this is it. Like this was, this was the one moment. And you see Dr. Strange, he puts up this finger. He says, one, this, this is it. This is the moment. This is the time when everything comes together. This is the one event that's going to save humanity, that's going to unite everything together, that is going to bring life out of darkness. And with the snap of a finger, it just, it all comes together. It's just so well done, so good. And it's just amazing how a movie can capture so much emotion, so much drama. One event, one breath, one moment can, can change it all and become this rallying point around what, what takes a, a diverse group of people and unifies them under a common cause. Now look, Marvel didn't write that story. They stole it. See, that's, that's our story. That's, that's our story. That's the gospel story. That's, that's the Christian message. That is what we are about. And, and, and this is what Ephesians is about and what we're going to be talking about for the next few months. Unity. Oneness. The series is called One because it encapsulates something that we need to hear right now. We just had this great, great vision message last week and, 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 and thinking through what it means for us as a church and our language of, of wholeness. And this is coming on the heels to help flesh that out over the next couple months. What does it mean for us this in a massively diverse world? We are constantly being called to unite. The question is, though, what am I uniting around? And this is the question that I want to ask you and leave with you and for us to keep coming back to week after week after week as we think through this text is, what is my one? What is my one. It's, it's maybe a little bit clunky when, 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 how we phrase it, but this is it. What is that one thing? What is the one that, that, the one thing that, that I'm about more than anything else? What is that one thing that you're about more than anything else? If you asked people, man, what, if someone asked your best friend or your brother, your sister, like, you know, what's, what's Joel really like? What would they say? See, that's what we're going to be talking about. Because we are constantly pulled to unite around other stuff. Constantly, right? We're, we're drawn to unite around lesser ones or the wrong one. Sports teams. Like, I love sports. I love my dolphins. I don't know what they're doing. I like to rally around people who, who like the dolphins as well. 
And sometimes, you, you know, you have enemies in that, like others that unite around a different team and automatically there's like tension and, you know, I mean, the fights break out in these, in these, in these arenas and in these stadiums over the stupidest things. People are going to blows, they, but there's a uniting there and that, that's become such an identity, right? And let's start adding on there, right? I mean, we, we, we unite around political identity. We unite around race, we unite around socioeconomic status, around singleness, or around marriage, or around whether you have kids or not. We unite around fitness, or beauty, food. I mean, there's, it, we see the range of importance and seriousness of the things that we, we unite around. And some of them are fine, they're good, and it's not all bad. See, there's, there's nothing wrong with these concepts to, to help identify certain values and, you know, we want to go hang out and do that. Like, that's fine. But look, what happens, what, what happens is these things become our main uh, place. They become our main source of unity, and there's, that's a problem. It takes center stage. It becomes priority that I unite around this group, this idea, this topic, we need something better. We need something bigger. We need something more. And, and that's, that's our question to ask. What, what is going to be my one, my main one, the thing that I will be known for day in and day out, mostly, so Ephesians is a help for us. And this is going to be the theme for us for the next several weeks. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, you see it early on in, in chapter 1 here in verse 1. Paul, the Apostle, is writing this letter. He's, he's, he's writing to a church, to a region of churches, actually. He started on one of his missionary journeys, Paul was radically changed by God. God came into his life where he was once this terrorist, like killing the church, dragging Christians out from their homes, wanting to destroy the church. And then Jesus meets him in a powerful way and changes his life. And he turns from this terrorist into, into one of the most powerful Christ ambassadors ever. Ends up writing half of the, over half the New Testament, and he is writing this letter to a church, a church that he started. He started this church and was the pastor there for around two and a half years. And where, while he's writing this, he's in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison for 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 doing the very thing that he's doing. Right, I just when when Ryan took that moment today to say, as we're singing, you're perfect in all of your ways, and we know that battle inside of us of going in. I, I, he doesn't feel perfect. My life doesn't seem perfect. Here's Paul writing from prison to a church that he loves, saying the same things, more or less, saying God is perfect in all of his ways, because you see it right away. He spends two verses saying, hey guys, it's me, it's Paul. And normally, 
in his letters, if you look at some of the other letters, he goes into usually this time of thanksgiving for the church. He'll say, like, oh, I'm so, I'm so happy for you. I love you. I'm so thankful that you, you, know, you exist, and I'm constantly thinking about you, praying for you. He doesn't do that here. I think his love for them is so great, he, 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 he starts into this outburst, this explosion of praise for God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, hey, it's me, Paul. Guys, I'm writing to you. And then he goes off, and we see from verse 3 to 14, in the original language, is actually one big sentence. It's one sentence. No periods, no exclamation points, no question marks. He is just like unleashing His love for God. It's like he just can't wait to talk about how great God is. Even from prison, this is what he wants us to know. And he wants his readers to know how amazing God is and how blessed and privileged we are when we are part of this family. See, the, the big thing that Paul is so excited about This is why I highlighted it when I was reading it to you earlier. In verse 10, this is what he's so excited about. He says, God's plan for the fullness of time is this, to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. He he is doing a uniting work. God is doing a uniting work. That is what the whole book of Ephesians is about. And, and, and he's making all things, Jesus Christ, God of the universe, is making all things one. See, there's that moment in Avengers when, when they all know this is it. This is the moment. This is the thing. This is the time where everything changes. This is what we are hearing today, that God is telling us, that Paul is telling us the one, that this is the one thing, the one thing that that Paul and us, that we all can rally around, God's unifying power. And look, we're going to spend a lot of time just kind of talking about this over the next few weeks because it sets the stage. It gives us a foundation. Look, Paul spends a lot of energy talking about this right up front because he knows how hard this is for us humans. We're constantly wanting to unite around the wrong things. Our, our unity, our oneness is threatened the, the, the true unity, the, the ones, the, the things that we're supposed to give ourselves solely to and, and, and give all of our energy and attention to become less and less. And we give ourselves to these other things that don't really unite us, but actually divide us. See, Paul spends three chapters, chapter one, two, and three, talking about this, this amazing mystery of God uniting all things. And, and, and here's what he does. He tells us who... Paul tells us who we are at our core and how Jesus changes everything in us. He tells us more about who we are before he ever tells us how we're supposed to live. Because that's chapters 4, 5, and 6. But this is an important message for us. 
And I want you to hear this, and I want this to come deep inside of you. Who comes before what? I'm saying it simply here so that you can get it in you, and I'm going to explain it. Look, who comes before what? You have to know who you are before you can ever know what you do. You have to know who you are before you can know what to do. Look, this, this is a principle not just in the Christian life. This is a principle really in, I mean, businesses teach this. Life coaches will teach you this. The, the, the problem is, is that we so often don't know who we are, really who we are. And so we end up doing the wrong things. This is a major biblical truth and principle, and we tend to want to focus on what to do. That's it's our human nature. We just want to know, just tell me what to do. Adam, just, just okay, this is a Christian thing. What do, what do I have to do? I have to stop smoking? What do I got to do? I got to, got to give up drinking. I got to give up TV, movies, relationships. It's not the emphasis in, in the Bible. It's not the emphasis that God gives to us. The emphasis over and over and over again is know who you are. Let me tell you who you are. Always God starts with who he's made us to be, how he has changed us, and then helps us understand how that impacts our lives and how we live. Look, unity is a huge theme in the Bible. It's huge. But Paul doesn't start this talk about unity with, okay, here's what I want you to do. Unity. Don't be a racist. Don't be a sexist. Don't treat the poor worse than you treat the rich. He doesn't say, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be proud Ephesians and rally around that. He doesn't tell them that unity begins with loving your Ephesianness and, and unify around that. No, he starts out with, look, God is big. God is amazing. God is, is over us. Eleven times in these, few, in these first verses, we see it wrapping around this idea of in him, in him, through him, for him, under him, under Christ. Like he is getting this point. Like you have to know who Jesus is and what he's done before you can ever start to figure out what you do with your life. Because if not, we're just going to keep trying things and like stepping out and being like, all right, this group looks good and, you know, they really like the Chiefs and so we're all going to rally around. <laughs> or no one ever rallies around Tampa Bay, so we're, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, they're going to be our enemies and they're the, the wicked team. I'm just glad the Chief fans have to deal with Tampa Bay now more than the Dolphins have to deal with Tom Brady. Look, this is the truth that, that God has made you, that he has poured his, his love on you through this amazing work that he has done. He is making us through all of it one, unified, all things one. And so we're supposed to celebrate that. It's supposed to make us happy, but, but we don't feel like one. We don't. 
Why? Because what's, what happens is we, we forget and we focus on the what rather than the who. See, we forget. We forget that, that what God has done for us and we just want to run right for the, for the what instead of dealing with the who. And so what, what do we do? We begin to celebrate other points of oneness. We, we, we celebrate the smaller unities. We celebrate the weaker points of unity. And we gather more and more in groups that center around other things. And we draw the boundary lines. We draw those lines in the sand. And we step behind it and we say, look, you're either with me or you're against me. You're either just like me and, and, and we are together or we're not. And so th- that line will be a marker to keep people out. Those, those different people. And we start equating different with evil. And we, and we tell the story to ourselves that if they're, if they're different, if we disagree on this or that, if, if we have different positions, if we look different, smell different, act different, that, that it is, a, it is a, a meant to be a, a separating marker. And that difference equals wickedness or evil. And we have our reasons for it. We have our justifications for it. We have our defenses ready to go. It's like, well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they're like. We have our reasons to explain why certain people are different and less than. Look, diversity, godly, true diversity that we're going to be talking about is supposed to be a source of joy for us, a source of celebration, and actually it should, it should push us into more unity because all of it highlights God's bigness and his beauty. And his power, because only he can take a wildly diverse group of people and make them one and unite them. Only God can do that. So what does this oneness look like? What, what, what are these blessings that Paul is talking about early on here when he, when he opens up in verse 3 about the blessed be the God and Father of every spiritual blessing? And we see it over and over again. What's he so excited about? He's so excited about God's unifying work, taking a diverse people and making them one, making them one people, making them one family. And it all centers around Jesus. That one long sentence, it is over and over and over and over again where he's just saying in him, in him, in him, through him. Like, just to make sure we don't miss it because we want to put ourselves in that center position, right? We want to put ourselves in saying, look, I want unity, but it has to revolve all around me. My preferences, my likes, my wants, my desires, my whatever. So look, these are the, he outlines what, what helps make us one, what makes us one in Christ, and what makes us fight for unity. And I'm just going to put it in three categories here for us. So in him, right, 11 times we see this in one way or another, in him, in him, in him, we are saved, we're sealed, and we're sanctified. 
We're saved, we're sealed, and we're sanctified. <clears throat> this is, these three things are the cause for celebration. These three things are, the, are what are, is supposed to make us excited and happy about unity and what unity is centered around and makes us fight for unity because we understand the foundation of our unity. It's not around a football team. It's around something so much bigger, better. Salvation, we are saved. I know this is a, it's, a, it's a word we throw around. Nick, could you give me, AJ, could you bring me my water? We're so used to, thank you, we're so used to hearing this word or throwing this word around. Save, salvation, it's, it's, it's a part of like Christian language. But what does it mean? What are, what are we even talking about? Because this is ground zero. This is everything, like, the whole rest of Ephesians, the whole rest of our lives are, are built around this one issue. Like, do I know God or do I not know God? Has he saved me? Because if there's nothing else to celebrate on this earth, if there's nothing else that ever happened to us, this is supposed to be enough for us to celebrate. God has done the impossible. He has, he has saved us from ourselves, right? I mean, these, these movies, these superhero stories, they grab us, they grip us so much because ultimately it's a story of salvation. It's a story of saving. It's a story of, of finding hope where there is no hope. And that is the message of, of the Bible and one that we have to, to wrestle with. This is not just some intellectual idea of like, oh, well, you know, this particular faith system seems to work for me and I, you know, I'm going to follow it. I'm going I'm to stick with it. Like, no, th th this is big. God has saved us from ourselves. Look at the language he uses in this one long sentence. These are just clips coming out from it. Next. He chose us in him. He makes us holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption. In him we have redemption, forgiveness of our sins. He lavishes his grace on us. Now look, we could, we could have this for the next three months and just talk about these verses. I can't, I can't do it. We got other things to do, but like we're going we're gonna to pull this out over the next couple months as we go through this, but like these are, this is big language, like, lang like life-changing, earth-shattering, impact everything for us. This is the foundation of Paul's outburst of, of joy and happiness. The main reason we are one is because God has done this to us. He has saved us. He has done all of this would not be done, could not have been done without God doing what he has done for us. See, what this means is that we need saving. That there is something in us that is, is hurt, broken, lost. And unless God does some act of saving on us, of mercy, of adoption, of redemption, of, of grace, we, we are hopeless. 
And so, do you see why we can't jump to, okay, here's how I want you to live, and how I want you to live as a married couple, or here's how I want you to live as a single man or woman, or here's how I want you to act when you're in college, or on your sports team, or at the grocery store, or on the road. Like, if we don't understand those truths here, we have no standard for, to, to know what we're supposed to do in any of life's circumstances. See, by nature, we do not like God. By nature, actually, the Bible tells us that we actually hate him. And all we do is run constant, constantly from him. That our nature is so broken and lost and hopeless. And we're going to see it later on. I mean, there's stronger language that comes in the rest of Ephesians 1 and 2. Like, there's not just a little spark of, of, of hope or glimmer in us. Like, we are in trouble. It is... Hopeless. We do what we want, when we want, how we want, thinking very little of who God is. But because of how loving God is, and how good, and how merciful and kind, He comes to us through Jesus. And He saves us. He saves us. Like we we were. We were hopeless and he comes to us. And look at the words, right? Again, those words, he chooses us, right? God makes that, that decision like because he loves us, because he's created us, he, not because of anything good in us. He adopts us, brings us into his family, makes us sons and daughters. He redeems us. That's, that's slavery terms. We were slaves and hopeless and he, he comes in and he buys us. He buys our freedom. He forgives us. He doesn't hold on to the, the sin that we've committed against him. And it says he lavishes his grace. He, he pours abundant grace. Grace is unmerited favor. He lavishes us with his grace. He comes over and over and over again because he loves us so much. Do, do you know, do you remember like when you're sick, like really sick, and you have just, you know, you, you feel terrible, your body hurts, you're you're just struggling, right? And there's various levels of sickness. But there's that moment when, like, you start to feel better and you feel better and you know it's happening and you, like, go outside. And, like, has the grass always been this green? <laughs> like, the air, it just, it's so crisp. It's so fresh. Like, People don't bother you as much. And you're like, I love you. Like, I'm so happy you're here. And, you know, I mean, there's, it's an overdramatic element of it. But that's, that's just truth. The worse the sickness, the more joyful and celebratory you are when you get better. Look, that's why Paul is so excited because he understands the bad news that was ahead of us. And when, when, when that good news comes, I mean, Paul was the perfect example. He was, he was a killer. He was, he was on his way to do more killing. And Jesus meets him in a moment and changes his life forever. And that's what he can do for you if you don't know him. If, if you do know him, that's what he did for you. 
and what we can celebrate in that. And so, yeah, man, when we start to thinking about unity, this is ground zero that God has done this. And I have to set this foundation. You're like, yeah, 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 I get it, Adam. We're saved. We're saved. No, we need to hear this and be reminded of it again and again and again. Because I know you want to get to, okay, what do I do? How do we make unity work? How do we? I, we can't. We will never make unity work if we don't understand this. Just look around. Look at the attempts of unity and what we would consider wholeness in the world. When, when, when things around us are trying their hardest to just grasp at straws and make new policies and do this and do that, just, just on a whim because, you know, this person's louder than this person or this person just wants to be elected and this person wants, like, we, we're caught in it. We have to be different. We have to have a mind that is different for understanding the world around us. Look, we are saved. That is, the, that is the foundation of our unity. And on the heels of that, second most important is that we are sealed. See, it's one thing for, for God to swoop in and, and do his saving work and all this power and then be like, all right, it's in your hands now. I'm out. It's not what he does. Thank God it's not what he does, right? He puts his seal on us. Look at what it says in verse 13 and 14. In him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, were what? Say it. You were what? Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the, say this word, guarantee of our inheritance. Look, you are sealed. That's his mark is on you. A seal was a mark of ownership in olden days, right? I mean, you sent a letter, you put a seal on it to, 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 to close it, to make sure that they knew who it came from. They would brand cattle with, with a mark of ownership, like this, this cow belongs to Adam. You're much better than cows. But this is what God does for you. He, he, he provides his constant ownership and protection of his people through his Holy Spirit. It is the birthmark of God's children. This is what God does for us. He not only comes in and saves us, he seals us. He says, look, I have done all this work for you. I love you. I have gone through great lengths to, to show my love. I've, I went to the cross. I was sacrificed. It says it in, in the scripture. In his blood, he redeemed us. That's the foundation of our salvation. He didn't go through all of that to then just Say, all right, you have it from here. I did the hard work. Now, no, no, he, he stays. He puts his seal on you. You are secure. Does that mean we just then get to live however way we want? No, 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 we're not getting to that yet. Because we're still understanding the who before the what. Who are we? We are saved and we are sealed because of who God is. That should impact. You see how that will impact the way that we view life and the way that we live going forward. But we can't, we can't get to that if we don't know this part. And then finally, what does he do? We are sanctified. He, he saves us. He seals us. He sanctifies us. Look, that word, it's a, that's, a, that's a $10 word in, in Christian 
language. Sanctification, sanctified. You know what it means? Simply this. It means we are set apart. God does, does this work of saving, and he, he pulls us from our hopeless pit. He saves us. He seals us, and he sets us apart, and he says, listen, you are mine. Now go live differently because of what I've done for you. It's, it's family language. Do you see? He says, look, you were, in verse 14 again, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our what? Inheritance. That's language talk, man. That's, that's, that's a big deal. That's family language. He promises to set his mark on us, and he promises an inheritance to finish what he begins. Now, when we understand this, we step out from this church, and we go, God, I'm, I'm going to live differently because I see differently. I, you know, we, we get the emotion when we watch the Avengers movie, right? Like some of us get goosebumps when we're seeing all that. We're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Even still in our hearts, like, is it going to work out? You know, like every time, like there's such, we, we read this stuff in scripture often and we just glance right over it. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. He saved us. Let's get on to more important things. There is nothing more important. But when we know this, we are changed. See, this is it. This is it. The, the question again, what's your one? I want you asking this to yourself. What's my one? Look, God has done all of this to do what? To take a, a, a mess of a people and bring them together under one umbrella, under one banner, right? It, it's, it's powerful. It's amazing. It is unifying. It brings us as, into one people, one family. With him at the center, the thing that we rally around. And look, it's, it's what pushes us to love unity in the midst of a crazy, wild diversity. Because God did it is doing it. Does he care how we live? Does he care how we believe? Does he care how we view events in the world around us? Absolutely. Should we have opinions and views? Yes. Should we, is it okay to like football and to rally around those things? Sure. It, all of that though, cannot be, cannot be the foundation of, of how we view life with God and with one another. It has to be bigger. It has to be deeper. Because the goal of oneness is around Christ as Lord. If that's in place, then we will want, we will be intentional to, to, to experience God's full beauty by embracing diversity in our lives. By not just constantly seeing those who, who have a disagreement with us as them, as the others. See, this is what human nature does. We, 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 I, we pull apart from one another to gravitate towards extremes on one side or the other, and, and God is certainly gave us something to polarize, something to show us what's, what's right and what's wrong. But I'm telling you, it gets lost in the shuffle with all the other noise, and we have to come back to say, all right, not just in theory or in words, but how am I going to fight for unity in my life every day, at my school, at my job, at my home, at my church. 
we're going to give you lots of opportunities to be uncomfortable and to fight for unity because I know we have aisles here, but there's no aisle here. You know what I mean? There's, there's no political aisle here. There, there is not a, 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 we are one people. There is not a divide in this room or in this Christian church that is meant to separate beyond us understanding that Christ is Lord and in him we have been united so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do things at times that it's going to make one group of people be like, oh, this is not what, really my preference. And then we're going to do something else to make the other group go, man, this is really not my preference. Because we're going to help fight against the, the pull to separate. And I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come on up as we close. But this is absolutely a fight because, as I said earlier, we, we drift towards people who are just like us. We unite around weaker things, and we are going to fight against that hard here at New Covenant. And by extension, then you are going to fight hard in your life as you go out from here and how you act at work, at home, at school, online. Because this is the most important thing that we can give ourselves to. So I want to ask you, to ask yourself through this series, what is my one? What is my one? And I want to give you some just summary points to help us close out here. Sameness is not oneness. All right? Sameness is not oneness. Look, the kind of unity that we're talking about is not about surrounding yourself with people who are exactly like you, keeping people around you who think the same. uh, Keeping people around you that think the same doesn't mean that there's unity. It's small. It's weak. It's easy. Paul uses family images in this text and throughout the passage and throughout Ephesians. Look, family members are not the same. There's different genders, there's different ages, there's different responsibilities, there's different gifts, there's different personalities, but there is a unification that comes. Unity requires diversity because it pushes us. It pushes us. The right kind of unity will be made up of all different kinds of people. It's not about being same. It's about unity under Christ. It is about pushing past those boundaries. Jesus, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians, there's, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. Sameness is not oneness. Oneness is the second thing. Oneness requires sacrifice. Look, Jesus secured our unity with his blood. It's the picture of sacrifice. To have real unity, to promote real real unity will be hard. It will take sacrifice. It'll mean not always getting what I want. It'll mean preferring others. It'll mean forgiving. It'll mean listening. It'll mean seeking others who are different than you. All of it is a sacrifice. It is hard, but it's good. It's what God wants. Jesus showed us what that sacrifice looks like. 
And the final thing is this. Sacrifice connects us to Jesus. Oneness, same, sameness is not oneness. Oneness requires sacrifice, and sacrifice connects us to Jesus. And this is ultimately what we want. If he's real, if he is who he says he is, if, the, if, if who he is is true from the scriptures, which we believe he is, then we want to be connected to him. Jesus unites all things to himself. When we do the hard work to see unity in our lives, it connects us more to him. It's a way for us to share in his sufferings, which is it's a call for us to be like him because it's what he did for us. It is a way to bring wholeness. Our diversity often is a sign of brokenness. And this is how wholeness comes to our lives. This is what we want, and it is hard. It is so hard. But here's the good news. God is with us, and he promises to give us his Holy Spirit to strengthen us for the work ahead, to strengthen us to find godly unity. It's the only way we can truly be united is if God is at the center of it. Make Jesus your one. Let's stand together. Father, in a world that pulls us away to so many different things, God, draw us back to yourself. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of majesty, you are the ruler of all things, Lord. Keep us from the weaker unification tricks. Help us to run to you, God. Church, if you've never if you have never believed, if he is not your one, if you have never believed that Jesus is the Lord of your life, if you've never trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins, then today is the day I invite you to trust in him. And here's what you, all you have to do. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, then he is faithful to come. He is powerful. He is able. No matter what your background has been, no matter what you have done, trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. As we sing now, I would encourage you to pray to him and just ask him to save you, to tell him that you believe. It is, it will change everything in your life. Amen. Let's sing. from heaven you came running there was mercy in
in you, for giving us an identity that cannot be shaken in this world. God, we ask that as you reveal your identity to us, that we would live more fully in that reality and that you would change us, God, that as we interact with the world, Lord, that we would be different, that we would be set apart. Lord, we're going to get to the what, but I pray that you would address the who in us, God. You would address the brokenness in us, Lord, the fact that we need you, we are desperate for you. God, we surrender to you. We want everything that you have for us. God, make us one in you, in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, church. We have Discover Track that's going to be happening right after this. And uh, uh, we're going to have our prayer people come to the front. If you're here and you're like, man, I have never connected with Jesus and you are looking to start that journey, we would love to ally with you to pray, to get you started out. If there's any healing needs that you have, any brokenness that you want the Lord to address, we'd love to also partner with you in that. Thank you so much for joining us. You guys go in peace. God bless you.